0: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. This is a little bit more of a special episode for you today. Garrick preached on the 4th of July at Coastline, and I thought it was a great sermon. And with it being the 4th of July, numbers were a little low, and I can imagine people aren't going to loop back and and hear Garrick's sermon, but I think it was so worthwhile and so edifying. And so, what we're going to do is I actually am just going to put the sermon audio in the podcast. But before that, I sat down with Garrick to ask him about his process of preaching, how he preps a sermon, and then a little bit about this psalm that he preached through Psalm 40 and how it ministered to him. And the sermon, is great. I, I can't recommend it enough. And make sure you are sending in your questions for the Q&A podcast coming up later this month. Again, hbabcock at coastline.family. In the subject line, I have a question for the podcast, and you will be entered to win Tim Mori's book, Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. Hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks for all the fun feedback about the podcast. We will see you next week and every week after that. Well, hello and welcome very special episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast, because I'm sitting across from just one member of the team. And it's, just one. It's my friend, Garrick. Hi, Garrick. Hey, Hunter. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Happy well, Tuesday to you.
0: Happy Tuesday. Well, mm-hmm. um, I, I, for a couple reasons, wanted to have just you on for just this brief intro. Uh, and the first one is I want people to hear about your sermon prep routine. Sure. Because it's I feel like I, I've only worked really in one church with one team, and it's always been with you. <laughs> so it's like normal to me. Yeah. But... I was wondering if you could maybe walk people through your sermon prepping process. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you think that would be interesting? I mean, here I go. Well, a big but, question
0: I get a lot is yeah. like, how long does it take you to prep sermons? Oh, I, I get it. that a lot from people. And yeah. the answer, it, it changes. It varies with people. Yes. And, and I think your technique yeah. is interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm. Sean and I are really different. Sean's, I think, very quick. I'm very slow. So everything's got to percolate with me. Um, and it's kind of a, a loving grind usually to uh, come out with a sermon on the other end. Uh, My rhythm has been, um, you know, if I know the passage um, the week before, I'll kind of just read it and just sit with it for a little bit, Um, not do any work on it, not take any notes, but just really kind of just sit with it for a little bit. So uh, that takes place. Um, And then Monday morning is usually... I'm out of the office and kind of working, particularly not necessarily in the summer, but if like kids are in school, I work from home so I'm not distracted, not dealing with all the other stuff that comes in a given, you know, Monday morning. Um, And I'll spend time, usually reread the passage, then take notes and begin to study it. Uh, Then do all my kind of commentary work of study, uh, listen to some others, what have others done with the passage, um, and then kind of go through that study Monday, a little bit on Tuesday, depending on what else is going on, and then usually come back to it on Wednesday. Wednesday, finish up the study, the commentary work. um, And then Thursday, I usually take my what's anywhere from four to eight pages of notes, Um, so I take a bunch of notes. Some of it is just my own thoughts, like, hey, I really want to hit this, or, uh, it could be connected to the text, or it just could be connected to, like, life application, right? Um, and so kind of comb through those notes. Um, and then usually Thursday, I outline it, and kind of on one piece of paper, uh, basically read through my notes and then kind of diagram. Mm -hmm. And my outline is not like a, I don't know, it's not line by line. It's a graph. It's basically like, you know, writing in bubbles, kind of bubbling out, like here are my two or three main ideas. And here's, you know, where I want the application to potentially go. That happens on Thursday. And then Friday, uh, I'm trying to move it up a little bit. Sometimes Thursday, I get a little bit of the writing done. But basically, I come in here Friday morning. Most of the people have it off, so it's quiet in the office. And I come in, and then from like 9 to noon, 9 to 1, I take it from, a, from my outline, um, my graphic outline, to then writing it. And I write it in, I don't write it word for word. It's not a manuscript. I just write it uh, kind of main thoughts um, and kind of bullet point, bullet point outline. And then the final piece is uh, my old rhythm when I was teaching Sunday morning, Saturday night, I would come back in from about 9 to 11 at night, and that was all just presentation. So reading it, thinking about, like reading it with an eye toward how am I going to present this? So after you've been doing it for many years like I have, when I read through what I have written, it's almost like I can visualize This is how I'm delivering it. Mm -hmm. So it's usually in those moments that the Lord, for me, the Holy Spirit will really highlight, like you don't really need that. This is really where the emphasis is gonna make sense given the passage, given where uh, we're at as a community, what we need to hear. Um, And so I'll go through that. And that's just a lot of presentation. And so um, I'm trying to find a new rhythm. Now that we're Sunday night, I'm kind of reclaiming my Saturday night back um, and trying. So these last couple of times I've taught, I've gotten up at 630 on Sunday morning. And so from 630 to eight, 830, while everybody in my house is sleeping, um, that's kind of when I'm doing that work. And I honestly, I don't, it's kind of a new rhythm. I got to find it because I think something really special for me happens when I go through that work Saturday night and then I get to sleep on it. Mm. And so many times Sunday morning, I'd wake up with a thought of this is the story that needs to be added. This is what, like the finishing touch that is kind of like the cherry on top, if you will, would usually happen like Sunday morning. And after sleeping on it, after doing that kind of presentation work Saturday night, I just felt like it was ingrained in me. And that's what gave me the freedom to be off my notes, um, much more visual and in front of the congregation and not tied to my notes. And so what I've actually found is I'm trying to find my way back to that Mm doing that Sunday morning and not Saturday night. And the, the jury's still out if I can accomplish that or not. Uh, because I think, again, for me, there's something unique that happens doing the work ahead of time, and then kind of sleeping on it. And it's just kind of you know percolating in me. And I, I kind of know when I hit the stage Sunday morning, like I'm usually able to say like, here's my intro, not only my main points, but I kind of have in my head Hey, this is my main point, and these are the kind of subpoints I have off this main point. Mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to figure out how do I do that, and with all my prep Sunday morning. So probably way too much more detail than anybody <laughs> ever wanted to know.
0: <laughs> no, but
1: uh, no, I, I I think to to summarize, I live in it quite a bit.
0: That's what I I, I think that people probably picked that up, <laughs> and that was what I wanted to say. Like, yeah. look. I think a lot of times it feels like sermons are, I mean, from a congregant standpoint, sermons are the the crown jewel of being a pastor. Mm-hmm. And and I think you and I would both disagree with that. Yeah. I, I think more of the lived experience, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in the messages in the medium. And if you live a sermon out w- a week in advance, five days in advance, even two days in advance, like you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I felt like that when I heard your sermon on the 4th of July, and I wanted to highlight that sermon and kind of put it in the podcast feed. Cause again, 4th of July, people might miss it. You might not jump on YouTube and listen to it. So we're putting it in the podcast feed cause I I was really blessed by it. And I I really hope that the listener is too. So Garrett, give me a little bit of how, how did you come up with doing this? It's a one-off. We're not in the foundation series in the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. What, what, was it about this psalm in particular that made you want to preach this? And, and mm-hmm. how did this message come about?
1: Sure. Yeah, even before we get into the kind of the message of the text that grabbed my heart, um, boy, this this probably happened um, three months ago, uh, just in my devotional time with the Lord, um, spending some time in the Word, uh, connecting with Him. I think I was uh, in my morning kind of walking uh, rhythm of prayer, you know, walking and praying. I just felt like the Lord um, was was placing it on my heart. Um, I think I had read the passage maybe as many as four or five days before, um, and nothing, I didn't think like, oh, this would be a great sermon to give. And as I was walking and praying, I think the idea of waiting patiently upon the Lord really grabbed me um, in that time of prayer. And that's when I thought, oh, this will be an. That, that that's kind of something to earmark that would be fun to deliver or to study and teach, uh, into the coastline community. Um, and so when that happens for me, I just make a note in my journal. Mm. Um, and so when I got the call from the rest of the team, like, Hey, we're going to move this week to a one-off. Um, I knew kind of going back to my journal, like, Hey, there are two or three things, um, that God has been kind of percolating in me, if you will. Um, and so that's how Psalm 40 came about. Um, and the more that i read it and you know interacted with it i was excited over this idea of you know seasons of waiting mm. and then recognizing like there are long seasons of waiting in scripture that we just pass over because it's just the turn of a page
0: i loved that analogy yeah you, in scripture you can just turn the page and, and moses is you know yeah he's out of the he's out of egypt yeah he's Turned out of the, the desert right yeah, yeah, midian's
1: yeah. over 40 <laughs> years just passed boom
0: and i thought that was for me as an audience member that was the hook that was like, the, and I'm sinking my teeth in. Yeah. How many times do I just want to turn the page in life? Yeah. And how many times can I not right. all the time? Yeah. So I yeah. thought that was great.
1: And, and I was really excited because I know that I struggle with this. And, and you know as a teacher, you know, like, hey, if I struggle with this, the chances are so many other people do too, right? Right, right, right. And, and I don't wait well. And I, and I forget that waiting is productive, Right. Yes. I just I, it just feels to me like this is a burden. Can we just get out of this? Can you answer me already? Can you come through? Can you show up? And and it it was, I think a good message has always been a really good message to the teacher first.
0: Totally. Yeah. Totally. You, you've
1: had to live into it yourself. You've you've realized, like, oh, this is a new truth for me to sink my teeth into or to be reminded of. And I just know for me, I was in you know, as I read the Psalm, I'm like, oh, I waited patiently upon the Lord. Like, And then my mind started racing of like patient versus impatient waiting. What does that look like? And I really didn't have an answer, but I think that was the hook for me of like, oh, that will be really fun to go and do some more study. And the more that I kind of dug into it, the more I realized like, yeah, waiting... And you knew this, I knew this before, but waiting is such a prominent biblical theme right. that in God's kingdom, He's totally comfortable with, and we are just not, right? Yeah. And then the fascinating thing that I didn't know until I really began to study Psalm 40 was that you have this Psalm of Thanksgiving in verses 1 through 10, and then 11 through 15, you have this Psalm of song of prayer, almost like a song of lament. And that that grabbed my attention too, because as I tried to bring out in the sermon... Isn't that life? Like, God help me, God help me, God help me, and he does. And then you turn around and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm right in a new problem. Like, Square I one. just got out of problem A, and now I'm in problem B. Like, and, yeah. you, and so that makes you think, hey, maybe it's not only about the rescue, but maybe God is doing productive work in the waiting. And yes. so... When you're waiting for a spouse, when you're waiting for a child, when you're waiting for a job, when you're waiting for that promotion, when you're waiting for the family drama to to ease up, you know, and um, all the things that are really important to us, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, um, we can run around like crazy, yeah, trying to control, but a lot of these things we just don't control. Mm. and when yeah. when the Lord says, you know my peace surpasses all understanding, I don't think often we can get to that piece until we come to the place of God does good things and productive things in the waiting.
0: Totally, and yeah. if you're listening to this right now and that sounds like a sermon you want to hear, great news! <laughs> you're gonna hear it. We're gonna put it right at the end of this. So, Garrick, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and walking me through your process a little bit and yeah, walking thanks. us through it. Yeah. Appreciate it, Appreciated the sermon, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it.
1: Okay, right about now, people that are on live stream are like, my volume's not working, what's going on? No, I had more, a reason that I wanted to do that, it wasn't just kind of a practical joke on those that are joining us live stream. That was one minute. That was one minute of waiting. Now, you guys made it fun and made it festive in the first part, like, oh, maybe like Garrick's like privately shaming us for like being talkative. And then you're like, maybe we're waiting for him to like, like cheer him on, and then he'll start. And then probably in that last 30 seconds or so, you had a moment where you're like, okay, would you start already? Like, I'm entering an awkward zone, right? Like, we finished talking, and then, Garrick, you were supposed to talk. Like, what was happening in that one minute of silence? And I did all of that as kind of a physical representation of the reality of what's true in our lives. You and I hate waiting. We just do, right? We hate waiting. We always see waiting as a waste of time. I don't know what it is about our culture, the DNA. We've been raised as kind of North Americans, but we want to get things done, and we want to get them done quickly so that we can either get more done or go more have more kind of fun and kind of time of entertainment. But you and I are not a patient people, and we don't like to wait. And the hard part of that reality for us is that God is the opposite. See, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he is perfectly content with waiting. Because in God's economy and in God's kingdom, waiting is always powerful and it always has purpose. Which is antithetical to how you and I usually perceive our lives when we are put into a season of waiting. You know, a few weeks ago, my kids and I had to get a COVID test for travel we drove up to our local CVS and we gave them all our insurance cards and then they gave us the little swab tests and one of my kids in the back went to break the swab test, the little thing that you use to poke too far up your nose if you've done that with me and they lost it and they fell on the ground so the whole thing had to start over. Well, I don't know how long we were taking but the cars started to stack up and somewhere behind us, somebody started honking as a means of like, hurry up! Because we don't like to wait. And yet waiting is exactly where the Lord will often place us. Because he knows that waiting is always powerful in our lives and is tremendously productive. And so what I'd like to do with our time this afternoon as we celebrate the fourth, we're going to take a little bit of time off of our series Foundations, and I get kind of one week, a one-off, and I wanted to look in as I pursued with the Lord, hey, Lord, what would you like to speak on? Here's what the Lord laid on my heart. He laid on my heart Psalm 40, this psalm, this song of waiting in David's life. Because I think that there's something that he wants to identify for all of us. Because if it's one thing I know about your life is that you are currently waiting for something. There's something in your life that you're waiting for. And God has a work that he's trying to do in that waiting. In fact, as we look into this life or this uh, Psalm 40 in David's life, we're going to see that there is significant fruit that is only forged when you and I are waiting upon the Lord. And so with that, let me jump into our text for this afternoon. I'm going to invite you just to stay seated because Psalm 40 is a little bit long. But let me invite you to do this. Maybe um, put your Bible down or put your phone away and, and hear it as our brothers and sisters would have when, when David penned this, when it would have been a scroll, when one person would have had the scroll and read it corporately and publicly to the community. We will have it on the side screens for you, but maybe let your ears be attentive and attuned to the words that God has for us this afternoon. Psalm 40, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sin has overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Yahweh. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we open up this great song Father, a song of praise, a song of prayer from David. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and meet the truth of your text and that you would speak into our minds and into our hearts, that we would carry out from this place the very thing that you were trying to forge in us, to craft in us, that we might reflect more and more of your character as we go and live the rest of our 4th of July. So, Father, would you help us be attentive to the words that you have planned Father, may our minds and our hearts be open to, Father, a new directive, a new encouragement, a new thought that you have for us as you think about shaping us into the image of your Son, Jesus. God, we are here. Come and do your work, we pray in your name. Amen. So Psalm 40 it opens up with this reality that waiting on the, upon the Lord is difficult and yet it's productive. See, David begins this song of praise revealing the tension that he feels in waiting for the Lord. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And in the Hebrew there, it's this reality that there is tension and that there is conflict in the waiting. Sometimes we read that and we hear, oh, I waited patiently on the Lord. And we kind of put it in the category of I'm kicking back in a lounge chair, a barca lounger, just waiting for my friend to show up. And really in the Hebrew text, it has so much more of conflict intention embedded in that verb to Wait. See, David knows in this season of his life what it's like to wait in the difficulty and the tension. He doesn't tell us specifically what's happening in his life. Psalm 40 is not connected to a specific moment in his life. It's not before he goes to battle Goliath. It's not before he goes to battle the Philistines. It's not necessarily when he's waiting to take the throne or he's on the run for his life from King Saul or later in his life when he's running from his son Absalom, we don't know the specifics of this prayer that he's saying, hey, I waited in the middle of the tension and the conflict, and I waited patiently for the Lord to show up. And I think David was intentional when he penned this prayer to not tie it to a specific situation because he knew that there was a general truth to be taught. Because it didn't matter the circumstances of our waiting, it applies to every situation that you and I find ourselves in as we are waiting for the Lord to show up. Because when we wait, there's often tension and struggle. And we know what it's like to wait like this, don't we? We know what it's like to be in life circumstances that create difficulty and tension. And then we know the added layer of tension that's created when you're living in that and you're thinking to yourself, God, are you here? God, where are you? Are you going to show up and rescue me out of this difficulty? And if you are, how? Because I don't see it. And if you are, when? Because I want it now. And waiting on your rescue is difficult. waiting upon the Lord is difficult. We know this waiting, waiting for a better season at work, waiting for a marriage to be restored, waiting for family drama to be healed, waiting for a future spouse, waiting for children or for grandchildren to come to faith or return to faith, waiting for answers, waiting for direction, waiting for guidance, waiting for healing, waiting for justice, waiting for change, waiting for fulfillment of a dream. See, we can identify with David when he said, I waited for the Lord. And friends, waiting is a biblical theme. As you read through your Bible, you will find waiting is there as a prominent theme time and time again. Think with me for a moment. After the murder of Abel, Adam and Eve had to wait for the birth of Seth. Noah waited 150 days, five months, adrift at sea, waiting for the promise of God of will there be land. Adam and Sarah waited 25 years for a kid. That speaks to all in our community that have wrestled with fertility. Joseph waited in jail for up to 10 to 12 years. Israel waited 400 years to be delivered out of the Exodus. Moses waited in the desert of Midian for 40 years. Israelite, because of their sin, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. David waited 22 years for the throne. The prophets waited 700 years for the Messiah to show up. Simeon waited his entire life to see the Messiah. Anna, who was married seven years, waited 60 years as a widow to see the birth of Jesus. Paul waited years to be trusted by the disciples see you and I read our Bibles and since it's in history we just kind of turn the page and the story keeps moving right Lord show me the action it's like an action movie like oh we hit Leviticus and we're like oh boring let's skip to something else where action is happening because I don't care who was born after this person this person and this person See, we want the action. We want the activity. We love books like Genesis because the narrative and the story continues to move. And yet, as you read your Bible, you realize this theme, you can't get away from it. This reality that God is perfectly happy and comfortable and actually has planned great seasons of waiting in your life. Now, we can say with David that, yes, that is difficult, but yet it's always productive because God shows up. Look with me in the next verse. He says, I waited patiently. I wrestled. I toiled with hardship. And yet what happened when I cried out? God, Yahweh, he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. The language there in the Hebrew is he lifted me out of the pit of destruction. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. See, God shows up. He is a God of rescue. And if it's anything we learn in this moment in David's life as he's penning this great prayer and this great psalm is that God in his divine strength shows up. And he does have the strength to rescue us from our difficulties, from our seasons of longing and our seasons of waiting. The Lord rescues. He gives us this word picture in this language here of someone who fell into a well. And it's this word picture of being, think of yourself at the bottom of a well. I don't know any other word picture that, that paints the reality of one's hopelessness than finding yourself in the, Dark pit of a cavern or a well, and you can't by your own strength, authority, or muster get yourself out. And see, that's the the picture that David gives us. He says, This is what it was like as I was waiting upon the Lord, that I was stuck. I, I could not fix it and I could not solve it myself. The Lord had to come rescue because I was trapped and I was helpless. And what does he say there? He, he gives us this picture of, look, if it's, you're stuck and you are absolute helpless, then the other part of the picture that he paints is Yahweh. God on high, the one who spoke everything into being, has the power and authority to see us in the pit and to pull us out and to rescue us. And the picture from the verse, friends, is a complete rescue. As helpless as the situation was when we felt like we were waiting, the picture that David paints is God comes down and gives a complete and utter rescue out of the well. And more than that, he puts our feet upon a rock and gives us a firm place to stand. He's saying, if you and I are willing to wait upon the Lord and give God space in our lives, then God, Yahweh, creator of the universe, will show up and not only rescue out of the difficulty, but he has the power and authority to bring security and safety and confidence into our lives. It won't always be predicated on changed circumstances. Sometimes it's the reality of his presence in our lives and us trusting this great promise. Because that language for us harkens back to the reality of what the New Testament tells us time and time again, that we were stuck in this pit called sin. We couldn't meet God's standard of righteousness on our own. We couldn't even meet our own good standards. And yet God didn't say, well, boy, it's dark down there. Good luck. No, out of mercy. That's why Peter, when he pens this great salvation we have in Jesus, he says, this great salvation we have in the mercy of God, this new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God came down, grabbed us from the well of our sin, made us righteous out of his righteousness and said, you are my beloved child. And we're thinking, I'm covered in muck and mire. He's like, no, you are righteous because of my righteousness. See, I rescued you, I saved you. And when you are in these periods of waiting and wondering, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to work on my behalf? You and I have this promise that we can say like Peter, we have this great salvation. We can say like Paul said in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God, because of his great mercy, made us alive with Christ. See, you might be in a period of waiting, but you can't forget that God has made you alive with Christ. Our feet are on a rock, a firm foundation that is our God in Christ Jesus. So, Waiting is difficult, and yet it's always productive. So, Garrick, if if it's always productive in our lives, what's the fruit that comes out of it? As we continue on in the psalm, I want to point out three things that's the fruit when you and I wait upon the Lord and give him time and space to work. See, God's rescue creates in us a response of praise and proclamation, That's the first part of the fruit that God is forging in us when he puts us in a season when you're waiting upon the Lord to work, to move in your life. Look with me in verse three. He says, I put a new song in my mouth, or he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. David comes out and says, look, you rescued me once, and when you did this new work, a new song came into my life, and I praised you. See, maybe God has you in this season of waiting and longing and desiring, and it doesn't look like he's coming through. And yet when he does in his time this new work, He's digging deeper into our hearts and minds and getting our attention so that when we recognize how needy we are and he comes through and does the new work, a new song enters our mouth, a song of praise to say, do you know God? Do you know Yahweh? Do you know the God revealed in his son, Jesus Christ? Because not only did he come down and save, but he's at work in my life. He has made me his son and daughter. See, we have this new song of proclamation. As I told you a few weeks ago, our level of joy is determined by our rhythm of rejoicing. And we learn, friends, to rejoice when we're in seasons of waiting. We learn to trust God and his goodness and speak about it. And that's what David does here. And he says, look, it's not only for our growth, but it's for the growth of others. Because the back half of verse three says, look, as I sing this new song about this great new work you're doing in my life, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Have you ever thought about the season of waiting you're in is not just about you? That's a hard one for me. When I'm waiting, I like to complain. I don't know about you, moment of honesty. I complain first. Why? Why can't I have it now? Me, Change it for me. And what David's reminding us here is that, look, God is going to put a new song in your mouth as he shows up and does this new work. But it's not just about you. See, as you sing this new song, as God shows up in your life, as you've gone through this season of waiting, it's about those that you're going to hear you praise. It's about those whose faith is going to be started or encouraged or strengthened because of the work that God did in and through you that he could only do while putting you in a season of waiting. See, friends, it's not just about us. It's about others. And you see this in verse 9 and 10 when David says this, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I don't hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love or faithfulness from the great assembly. I love that last line. I do not conceal your love. That's God's Hesed love, his faithful, loyal, always present, never to be doubted, love that he has for you. Because I think in long seasons of waiting, One of the greatest temptations you and I have is to doubt God's love. Do you really see me and do you really care? Because if you did, wouldn't you act quicker? Wouldn't it be just a little bit easier? Wouldn't the diagnosis come back more positive? Whatever it is we are waiting for. And yet he's saying, look, I'll speak of God's great love. There's a pattern here that I want to recognize, and that's we wait, God rescues, and in the middle of the rescue, we praise and we tell. See, in your waiting, God is building a story. Whatever it is you're waiting upon right now, God is in the process of building a story, of building his testimony in your life. So take a moment and pause with me for a second. What are you waiting on? And instead of being frustrated and complaining, can you see it as, wait a minute, God is in the process of building something here. You know, back in 2018, there were some issues going on in previous ministry, and I was just really frustrated. I felt like God was putting all of these burdens on my heart for certain things in ministry. And whenever I would try to take a step and think about how do we launch this forward, I felt like it was just being crushed. And there was a leader that I was working with that was part of maybe this work and this endeavor that I thought God was gonna do. And this person wasn't allowed to be in leadership anymore. And I was just devastated. And in this whole season of like 2018 and 2019 was just this long season of, God, you've put these desires in my heart, yet there's nowhere for them to go. Maybe you've been there. And see, for me, I was really getting ready to leave my place of ministry. I felt like God's plan in the waiting was calling me out to depart. I had no idea in 2018 and 2019 that God knew in 2021 that he was going to launch a new church called Coastline. See, I was getting ready in the waiting to be like, all right, God, all I know is that it's time to depart. And yet in the midst of the waiting, God was working and getting me ready for something that I didn't know, which was, hey, we're going to do a new church. But in 2019, I had no clue. See, that's what God is doing in the waiting. He's getting us prepared for the things that are coming that he sees that we don't see. And David is here saying, look, you have rescued me, and I have a story to tell because, God, you have built a story in your rescue. The second piece of fruit that comes in our waiting is this. It comes out of verse 6 through 8. God's rescue creates in us dedication Our hearts grow in dedication to the Lord in the midst of the waiting. Look with me in verse 6, 7, and 8 sacrifices and offerings you did not desire but my ears you have opened burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require then i said here i am i have come it is written about me in the scroll i desire to do your will my god your law is within my heart now there's a lot of language here about the the sacrificial language of the old testament that they would come and worship god by making a sacrifice And the point that David is making in this psalm is the reality of God's heart, saying, look, if you you put it into today's vernacular, it would be, I don't want your religious activity that's not connected to your heart. I don't want you to do the obligatory, I went to church, if your heart doesn't care about it. Because, friends, what God wants more than our activity is our hearts. More than the gift we might think we're bringing in the act of service to God, God wants us. And it's in this waiting that I think we learn greater dependence upon the Lord, which builds this idea of dedication, and a dedicated heart leads to obedience. Have you ever thought to yourself, I want to be more obedient, and then just try to white-knuckle obedience? i failed in this area of my life. I'm going to fail no longer. It doesn't usually work. Because obedience flows out of a dedicated heart. And dedication is what God builds in seasons of waiting upon him. That's what he's saying here when you see this. This language of greater dedication. He says, Look, Lord, I am here. I've shown up. I desire to do your will. My ears are open. What are marks of a heart that's dedicated to the Lord? How do I measure my dedication? There are four things that I see here in these verses that I'd like to highlight for you to think about your own life and asking, Am I dedicated in my heart to the Lord? There are four things. The first one comes out of verse six. He says, but my ears, you have opened. A dedicated heart seeks to listen to God. It's willing to listen and to take a posture of learning in the life circumstances that God has for you and the community of faith he has put around you. A dedicated heart seeks to spend time with God. You see this when he says here in verse seven, here I am, I have come. Here I am, I'm offering myself. I've come before you, Lord. One of the greatest struggles we have in growing our faith in the North American church is the reality of our distractions that we have in front of us. I mean, I gotta be honest. I love binge watching shows like you guys do. Like I'm of the generation where I was young enough to remember the days where you're like, oh, that was so good. And now you gotta wait seven days for the next episode. And now you're like, you don't even wait. They're just like three seconds, it's gonna come on. All I gotta do is just sit here and it's gonna come on for me. And so we're so easily distracted, and it's not a bad thing. But if we're going to have dedicated hearts, we have to get time with God. We have to put ourselves before the Lord like David does. He says, here I am. I've come to you. And so dedicated hearts seek to spend time with God. The third thing is seeking to please God. You see that in the language here in verse 8. I desire to do your will. And then finally, a a heart that is dedicated, seeks to know and live God's word. He says here that I have hidden your law or your word within my heart. This language of, I know it, I remember it, and I want to live by it. So, is your heart dedicated to the Lord? Do you seek to listen to him? Do you seek to spend time with him? Do you seek to please him? And do you seek to know and live his word? So the fruit that comes out of waiting, it's this praise and proclamation. It's this new depth of dedication that leads to obedience. And then finally in verses 11 through 17, we see that waiting creates in us a confident trust in God. Look with me here in verse 11. He's switching. Verse 1 through 10 is this great psalm of praise and adoration. And then in verse 11 through 17, he goes into this psalm of prayer. It's almost a lament. He says, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without numbers surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Isn't this true to life? That you go through one season of waiting, God shows up in His timing, He works, He gives you a story, He gives you a testimony, and just as you finish that, you find yourself in a new season of waiting? It's like God rescues you from your current problem and you get 30 seconds to say, God is great! And then life turns and hands you your next problem. Isn't that true? I find that in my life. I'm like, Lord, look at You showed up. You did amazing stuff. And guess what, Garrick? Here's the new problem. Like, what? Like, we just got out of this problem. can we have a little bit longer of a bridge before we go into the next valley? Often we don't. Because I've said time and time again, God cares more about our development, our character, than he does our comfort. And so here's David living this pattern in life that we see that God rescues and we have a testimony and we share that testimony and yet problems persist. Look what he says here. He's in this new season of struggle. He says, they're so numerous. They're more than the hairs of my head. I feel like my sin has overtaken me. He says, the the consequences of my poor choices and the way that I have not lived how the Lord would desire for me has overwhelmed me. It has overtaken me. Then he says in verse 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly. It's this great cry again of help as I'm in the midst of waiting. Verse 14 and 15, the reality that people are trying to take his life and are trying to ruin him. It's a significant season of struggle again where David has to go back to verse one and says, a new afresh, I'm waiting patiently on the Lord. There's this newfound trust that I want to point out. David prays with confident trust for God to deliver him. Look with me in verse 16. But, many will, but, many, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. See, that past activity of God's work in David's life that he's saying, you, you rescued me from the pit, was the confidence that David needed as he goes into the new season of waiting. God's previous act of faithfulness is what carries David through and into this next season of difficulty. And he does so with great confidence. And that's what's forged as we wait this confident trust that although I can't see it and I may not feel it and I don't know when God is going to show up, I'm confident that God is going to work on my behalf because the Lord is great. See, today's problems build faith for God's plan for you and I tomorrow. Verse 17, he ends this prayer in self-awareness, an awareness of who God is he has knowledge of himself and he has knowledge of God look with me in verse 17 but as for me i am poor and needy may the lord think of me you are my help and my deliverer you are my god do not delay David's saying, I'm poor and needy. I won't try to control it. I won't spend my time complaining. I will put my trust in God who is great, God who is my helper, God who is my deliverer, and God, Yahweh, who is my Lord. That's where I'm gonna put my trust. And David learned all of that living in these seasons of waiting. So let me close with an idea of what does productive waiting look like compared to unproductive waiting. Right? Just because we're waiting on something doesn't mean it's, it, we're allowing it to bear the most fruit that God has planned. Let me give you some insight on Un, what unproductive waiting could look like. If you're trying to take control of your situation, it's unproductive waiting. If you're impatient in the waiting, it's unproductive waiting. Impatience usually shows up in one of two ways. Complaining or a flurry of activity. So as you're waiting, do you find yourself complaining or do you find that you are a flurry of activity? And unproductive waiting often includes giving up faith, not being expectant for God to work or to move, that it's been too long or maybe my problem is too great. Productive waiting. We remain expectant. We live into John 5:17 that we know that Jesus says my father is always at work. When we can't see it, back in 2018 when I couldn't see it, God was at work preparing the pathway for what he had planned, which included me and included you. Learning God's promises and character is part of productive waiting. If you're in a long season of waiting, I encourage you to read your Bible deeply and think about what promises has he given you and what character of God is revealed as you're waiting. And then finally, as you're waiting and you want it to be productive, care more about the character that God is building in you and less about changing the circumstances. For shorthand, that's just trusting God's timing trusting his timing when it doesn't make sense to us and we can't see it or understand it. So friends, waiting is not a waste. Waiting on the Lord is powerful and productive. Our waiting makes space for God to work and creates a new song of praise, praise that leads others to consider him. Waiting upon the Lord creates dedication that leads to obedience, dedication that creates hearts that desire to do his will. And waiting upon the Lord creates confident trust, Confident trust that prayer and reliance upon God is always the way forward. So here at Coastline, my brothers and sisters, in our waiting, let's stop complaining. Let's stop trying to control. Instead, embrace this season of waiting, trusting the fruit that God is going to bring in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, Father, We are an impatient people. Waiting seems so foreign and hard for us, and yet, Father, you're so comfortable with it. So, Father, maybe tonight is just to remind us of your activity as we wait. Father, the different things that we're waiting upon, restored relationship, a loved one to come to faith, healing for ourselves or someone that we love in our lives, a different season, a new season of life, a different season, a new season at work. Father, whatever we're waiting upon, Lord, may we learn from David's life. May we trust your scriptures. May we wait patiently on the work that you're trying to do. May you give us a song of praise. May you grow dedication in our hearts. May we desire to obey you, Father, as we're waiting. And then, Father, may you forge confident trust in us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're patient with us when we're impatient. Continue to do the work in the ways that we are waiting and help us to wait patiently upon you. In your name we pray, amen.